welcome to Detangling Development, a seven-part podcast series brought to you by UNIPID, the Finnish University Partnership for International Development. In this podcast, we dive deeper into important themes related to global development by interviewing a guest with expert insight or research in this specific topic. I'm your host, Melissa Plath. This episode takes a deep dive into the role of the private sector in Finnish education development cooperation. I have a great guest here with me today to share her expert insight into the topic, Dr. Elizabeth Etta. Elizabeth is a researcher and teacher in the field of transnational education. She has a PhD in educational sciences from the University of Turku, where she worked as a researcher and the responsible teacher for the comparative and international education course. She's currently a postdoctoral researcher working with the Global Innovation Network for Teaching and Learning at the University of Helsinki. She's also a guest lecturer on the Global Education Development course at the University of Oulu. In 2018, Elizabeth's doctoral dissertation was awarded Dissertation of the Year in Education in Finland by the Finnish Association of Educational Research. Her research interests include topics such as educational policy, comparative and international education, African education, Cameroonian education system, Finnish education export, and academic partnership with the Global South. In addition to her research work, Elizabeth has also worked as project director for the Finnish edtech company, Graphogame. Welcome, Elizabeth. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you very much, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you? What are you currently working on? I'm doing okay. Uh, at the moment, I've been busy with conducting research and writing journal articles on education transfer from one context to another. I've been curious to understand why local systems of education, rural education discourses, policies, practices and solutions from one context to another, and how they use what they borrow in their local context. In my research, I have examined how a European reform known as the Bologna process that was conceived and uh, designed for the harmonization of education systems in Europe became attractive for Africa. Uh, I have been working as a project director at Graphogame. Graphogame is a Finnish edtech education export company focusing on uh, early literacy, developing early literacy apps. So uh, my research on transnational education transfer and my work in the field of education exports have been important, especially at a time when uh, the world is facing a global learning crisis, a situation that has been exacerbated by the coronavirus pandemic with education stakeholders around the world looking for education solutions to mitigate global learning crisis and to allow kids to continue learning during the COVID-19 school closures. That is super interesting. I wonder if you could summarize that. If you had to, for example, uh, explain what you do to a 10-year-old, what would you tell the 10-year-old? I think I would try to really break it down to start from how the decisions that we make about our lives are sometimes influenced by the uh, immediate surroundings. So as a child, some of the things that you do are because your friends are doing them. So when we translate that to education and what I do is trying to examine or to look at what other education systems are doing and trying to understand why a specific education system would want to look elsewhere for solutions to their education problems. So trying to understand why they do that, trying to understand how they use what they, they learn from abroad 
and how they use it in their own local context. I think basically that's how I can explain to a child. I hope it's clear enough. I think it is. I understood that so well. I think it's it's actually an incredible way of describing what you do because uh, in the end, it's not just children sometimes who need explaining and kind of breaking down these concepts, but us adults as well. And actually, you mentioned something there which I think should be broken down a little bit more, which is the global learning crisis. So can you explain what the global learning crisis is? Absolutely, Melissa. So uh, we noticed that in the past few decades, there has been massive expansion in access to schooling throughout the world. But unfortunately, this expansion in access to schooling has not really resulted in quality teaching and learning. This is a situation that has been termed the global learning crisis. The global learning crisis is actually used to describe the current situation in which millions of children around the world are unable to read, to write, or to perform basic mathematics. UNESCO Institute of Statistics actually estimates that globally there are more than 600 million children and young people of primary and lower secondary school age that do not achieve minimum proficiency levels in reading and mathematics. Uh, while some of these children and adolescents are out of school, we see that about two-thirds are actually in school, but still they are failing to uh, meet minimum standards. So the global learning crisis seems to be as a result of a disconnect between access to education and the provision of quality education. It sounds like a very dire situation and it makes me wonder, of course, it's obvious why countries want to have an impact on this global learning crisis. Uh, but I wonder from a Finnish perspective, what are Finland's core strengths that are contributing to helping to solve? Can you talk about solving the global learning crisis, but anyway, contributing to lessening the global learning crisis? Yes, I actually think that before we talk about Finland's core strength, it will be important that we examine the causes of the global learning crisis. As we all know, to solve a problem requires identifying where the problem is coming from. So we need to look at the nature of the problem and understand the causes. Say that lack of teachers around the world is, has been identified as one of the reasons for the global learning crisis. We see an increase in the enrollment rates in primary school over the past few decades. But this has not been matched with a growth in the number of teachers. So as a result of the surge in class sizes, quality instruction has really suffered. And then there is also the uh, teacher absenteeism. So uh, teachers are sometimes unavailable to the students. This is sometimes because they are posted to places they cannot reach because of bad roads and sometimes because of poor working conditions. And then there is also the lack of training. You would also notice that in so many contexts, many teachers lack the qualifications to teach the students. I was actually reading an article that says that in some contexts, more than half of the teachers in the school actually lack the basic qualifications to teach. So that is also a problem. But besides that, there is also the lack of schools. And sometimes kids need to work very long distances to, to go to school. So that is also prohibiting many kids from attending school, especially for families in rural areas. There's also the financial obstacles uh, attributed to this. We would know that in some contexts, education is completely free. But in other contexts, education 
comes at a price of school fees, school uniforms, school supplies, which some families cannot just afford. But besides all of these other problems that I've mentioned, I think that there are also internal conflicts and wars that are actually keeping uh, children and teachers out of school and contributing to the global learning crisis. Teachers and students fear for their lives going to school, so there is no way that someone would want to go to school in that kind of a situation. So survivor is probably the most important thing for people in these kind of situations. Having said that, I think that there are some core strengths that we can actually use in or operationalize in solving this global learning crisis. Teacher education and training, research-informed teaching, innovative teaching methods, uh, the development of and the use actually of technology to support teaching and learning. These are some core strengths of Finland that I think that can really go a long way to, uh, or that can be operationalized to solve the global learning crisis. Uh, some of the core strengths of Finland also include uh, the play-based teaching and learning uh, for cognitive and uh, social, emotional and uh, physical development. Education equality and equity are, Finland's, are also some of Finland's core strengths, which makes it possible that no matter where you are in Finland, kids have access to good schools with skilled teachers, healthy lunches and high quality learning materials. I think all these are Finland's core strengths that can be leveraged in addressing the global learning crisis. But I also think that there is a need for Finland to support local actors, scale the innovative solutions they have come up with to solve the global learning crisis in their various contexts. So in this way, Finland is not only exporting its solutions, but it's also providing technical and technological know-how in helping local innovators design and develop quality education resources to be consumed locally. But I also think that in addressing the global learning crisis, training of teachers and introducing edtech and other solutions that I have mentioned are not enough. We also need to address the reasons for teachers' absenteeism and why some students are not in school. So wars and internal conflicts are to be addressed. Without addressing conflicts and wars, which are political reasons, investing in the best teacher training programs and the best learning resources will not help much. Kids and teachers need to know that they are safe and feel safe to go to school and for effective teaching and learning to take place. So we have to approach this from a holistic way and you can't remove education from the context. Exactly. So always the context is very important here. So in as much as I've given all these reasons for the global learning crisis, I think that there would still be context specific. So the reasons will be different for each context. Of course, these are general reasons, but the reasons could be more accurate in some contexts than in others. This will take me to the next set of questions. But before we go there, um, there is a kind of differentiation you made between teacher training and teacher qualifications and teachers not being qualified enough. What is the difference actually between teacher training and teacher qualifications? Okay, so when I talked about that, I was actually referring to uh, in different contexts have minimum qualifications for teachers. In Cameroon, for example, it's something else. In Finland, it's something else. In Nigeria, it's something else. So they may have the training and the qualification, but this, the quality and the standard, is it measurable? I also mentioned teacher absenteeism. Uh, and because of this, we have people sometimes uh, who are recruited locally 
who have not gone through any kind of training to sit in for the teachers who are not uh, present. So because of that, uh, the quality of training or the quality of teaching is really very poor. Okay, I get it now. So it, it's like the qualifications are the kind of formal things that you need to be a teacher. And the training is the actual training that you get to become a teacher. Yeah, because the training really, really matters. So some of some people do have the qualifications, but they lack the training to do it. And some people have the training, but they don't have the qualifications. Right, right. It's, it's interesting how actually all of these things are kind of interconnected. That, as you said, the qualifications and training feeds into the absenteeism and that these things kind of are connected with one another. I find that very interesting. We have this joke in Unipid that everything is connected to everything. And I feel like this is a really good proof of that. <laughs> Actually, everything is interconnected. Everything is interwoven. So uh, we cannot isolate things. Of course, you've mentioned earlier about the holistic picture. Uh, yeah, so I think that is us looking at this global learning crisis from a holistic perspective. So if we now move a bit to the next set of questions, one of the things which has been a kind of political priority in Finland for a little while has been education export. So how does the Finnish education export play into Finland's education sector development cooperation? Thanks. That's a really interesting question. The world is facing all sorts of global crises, including the global learning crisis that we just talked about. There is also the slide in education brought about by the coronavirus pandemic. We see high levels of graduate unemployment. These different crises and situations and challenges require different actors involved in uh, development cooperation to play their part. Finnish education export, as involved in by both public and private sector actors, is certainly a major activity to enhance development cooperation, especially in resolving the global learning crisis. As we may all know, development cooperation goes beyond financial transfers and aid donor-recipient relationships. It also involves technical research and technological cooperation, mutual learning and sharing of expertise to support national and globally agreed upon global goals, such as the Millennium Development Goals that we had earlier and now we're talking about the Sustainable Development Goals. So Finnish education export as done by Finnish policymakers and experts in diplomatic offices abroad, regional and international organizations contribute to development cooperation agenda setting through policy dialogue and policy formulation where these actors share education lessons from Finland with their colleagues and vice versa. As we may also know, the private sector plays a huge role in Finnish education export. And as a development cooperation actor, they too are contributing towards achieving globally agreed upon education goals, even though the approach is different from that of uh, education policymakers and experts. The private sector takes the market approach of productizing, marketizing and commercializing education products, services and solutions internationally that also aims at responding to global education crisis and global developmental goals in education. But because development cooperation is not driven by profit, the role of the private sector in development cooperation is often questionable. I think it is worth reminding ourselves that the private sector can be seen in a continuum where we also have the private sector for profit, but also the private sector for development 
and in development, where their activities are part of regular core business operations, but that affect development outcomes. So we see the private sector promoting business activities with an explicit development dimension attached to their mission and activities. But for the private sector to be fully or to, to really be seen and appreciated as an actor in development cooperation, profit cannot be their main goal. And there are many education expert companies in Finland with the mission. I, and I happen to have worked with one of such companies. So what then do you think are some of the benefits and some of the challenges regarding private sector involvement in this field? Uh, one of the benefits of the private sector involvement in education sector development cooperation is its innovativeness in supporting the achievement of development cooperation goals faster. We see all forms of partnership between uh, the private sector and research institutions and universities to transform research results into resources and applications that can be used to solve different education crises. Think, for example, the resources that are out there to help learners to achieve literacy and mathematical skills that have been developed after because of partnership between the private sector and the universities and research institutions. The second benefit I see is the flexibility and quick decision-making process of the private sector that sometimes even make decisions on a one-to-one -one basis. This is very common with private sector organizations that have explicit development dimension attached to their missions and uh, to their activities. I have seen the private sector education companies either as individual companies or as a group, group of companies coming together uh, to offer their education resources for free, especially during the COVID-19 outbreak, to allow kids to continue to learn how to read. That is a developmental angle right there. So I've, because of that, I feel that's a benefit of the private sector involvement in this. All of these efforts were aimed at providing solutions to help solve the global learning crisis and to avoid the COVID slide in education that would have been worse if these private sector resources were not available and accessible. Uh, for the challenges, I think one of the challenges has to do with the fact that Finland's good reputation in education internationally has been has opened up the sector to anyone and to everyone. Uh, some companies have been created with no products. Some have some have products and solutions that they export, but these solutions have never been tested or used in Finland. So some of what of what we see are imaginary versions of Finnish education, which is being exported in the name of Finnish education. So there is no evidence-based supporting the effectiveness of these products and solutions to respond to educational challenges or to the or their potential to respond to global crisis or even help towards meeting uh, developmental goals. In other words, I think Finland is used sometimes as a marketing strategy by some exporters and importers to sell a version of Finnish education that would not even be recognized in Finland. The second challenge that I see would be the uneasiness and sometimes the negative perceptions people have about private sector engagement in education, especially in development cooperation. So people are often too quick to dismiss the private sector as an actor in development cooperation because of their for-profit rationale. Uh, so there is always this tension and debate on how to reconcile the business rationale 
or the for-profit rationale of the private sector with development cooperation objectives. But as I said earlier, if the private sector is seen on a continuum ranging from for-profit on one end uh, to private sector in and for development based on the activities that they engage in, then we can begin to see another dimension of the private sector that is purely inclined to development cooperation and aligning to developmental goals. This is extremely interesting. And I think that it's really important to look at both of these opportunities and challenges when we think about kind of how to reconcile that in the future. But one of the other questions that I have arising from this is that considering the push for Finland to engage in more long-term cooperation in education and to promote system-level reform rather than this project-type short-term involvement, how can education or how does education export activities fit into this framework? I think that's a very important question. I think that this can be really reconciled through public-private partnerships or all sorts of partnerships. I mean partnership with the government with, that explicitly allows the government to work with or support and promote private sector efforts. Uh, the government is already involved in development cooperation and, and sometimes the services and products and solutions that they need to support their work are readily available within the private sector. So through funding of those private sector initiatives, through this kind of funding, I think that the fear of accepting the private sector as a development cooperation actor would be kind of reduced, if not eliminated. In my previous work, let me give you an example here. In my previous work, I remember having a meeting with some international development cooperation actors in education, and they asked me, would the Finnish government be willing to fund this solution in some specific countries as part of their development cooperation if the locals express their interest in having the solution? So that in itself tells you that even the international actors see the possibility of this kind of partnership between the private sector and the government. So I think through this kind of partnerships, they can achieve a lot in this regard. Second, the government has spent a lot of money on funding research. There's a lot of research longitudinal studies, even in the global south where researchers and research institutes have taken part in this research. So I think that through that research, some products, or I know, not I think, I, I know that through this kind of research partnership, some products have been developed that would directly help with the global learning crisis. Some of these products are now owned by private education companies. I think promoting these evidence-based resources in development cooperation could be another way, especially if the resources are useful by the users and go directly to address or to solve the problems, the local problems. One of the things that I find really interesting, which you've brought up, and it's something that I think a lot about in my work as well, is this kind of challenge between having context-specific need and local actors and then Finnish actors and how to actually manage this, let's say, sometimes a disconnect between what the local context is, the local actors, the local needs, and perhaps what Finland has to offer, or then me as a representative of, for example, a, a network of Finnish universities, what I have to offer. So do you think that there is a way or an approach that can be taken to ensure this kind of local aspect in this cooperation that we've been talking about? Yes, I think there is actually, and I feel like Finland 
and some actors are already doing that. I feel like there is need for the local actors to be involved in whatever process that would be. So not just at the implementation stage, but they are also involved in the agenda setting, in the problem formulation, in the policy formulation, and then in the adaptation of whatever resource that would be in the local context. So at the end of the day, it is the locals who implement whatever uh, solution is brought to them. So I feel like being involved in that process in identifying the problem that they are actually uh, looking for a solution to solve it, in formulating that what that solution would be, in agreeing on the kind of solution that would go to solve that problem is really important aspect in this process. Because as we all know, whether a policy fails or whether a solution in another context fails or, so, or succeeds, it depends solely on the actors involved in the process. And I feel like the local actors' voices sometimes are not really heard in this process. Yeah, and as you said, kind of integrating those voices and perspectives from the agenda setting, I mean, from the very beginning, I think that's one of the answers. So Elizabeth, what are then some considerations when it comes to engaging sustainable and responsible education exports? Melissa, I think that we need to consider, for example, what is the local problem the exported education solution intends to solve? We need to ask ourselves how involved are the local players in the process of problem and solution identification. I think it would be good for the exporters to be clear about the conditions under which a certain solution or exported solution from Finland or for wherever would work in a new context. So in this way, we are going back to context. So in Finland, maybe certain solutions work because of this and because of that. So in another context, when that solution is exported, I think it is very important that those involved in this process are very explicit about under what conditions this solution would work in the new context. I also think that we need to ask how involved are the locals in recognizing that problem in the adaptation process and in implementing the exported solution or the imported solutions. Government and school management commitment is not enough. I think those who implement, who are often the teachers, have a huge impact on whether the imported solutions become successful or they fail. Uh, in the global south, most adaptation or adoptions of global solutions or solutions from elsewhere are based on aid. I think we also know that implementation of these solutions that are aid-dependent often end when funding ends. So it is important that local governments not only commit to wanting these solutions, but are also committed somehow financially in sustaining the solutions. And then there is also this aspect of localizing certain aspects of the exported solution. So for example, we are talking about teacher training. So in, in, the, in the case of teacher training, those who are trained, they stay with the knowledge. So they can use that as a way of training the trainers and then the trainers continue training. So it's sustainable in that way. But in the case of edtech, so sometimes everything comes from Finland or from other contexts where education solutions are exported from. But I feel like if we can localize certain aspects of this, of education export, in the case of edtech, maybe localizing customer service would go a long way to sustaining whatever solution that has been exported or imported from Finland or from any other context. And lastly, I think that uh, there is need for Finnish education export to be regulated. In other words, I think we need some kind of ethical guidelines governing education export activities, not just to protect and maintain, but also to sustain the Finnish education brand. 
Thank you, Elizabeth. I think that last point is is super important as well. And it, it's something that we have in Unipid been thinking quite a bit about. So this is a very interesting point that you bring up. I have the final question for you, which is what's next? Okay, what what's next? I think that this what we've discussed today is super important. And we are witnessing an increase in Finland's interest in Africa. There are discussions and recommendations for Finland to step up its role in global education development, and especially in low- and middle-income countries. Uh, we have seen the launch of the Finnish Finland-Africa strategy. We also see Finnish education experts being positioned in international organizations and multilateral forums in developing countries to influence Finnish education sector expertise. Uh, we are also witnessing an increase in private education company involvement in education exports in Africa. I am, as a researcher, as a teacher, fascinated by these developments, but it would be nice to see more African scholars and education experts in Finland involved in these processes. It would also be great to see more research being done on these issues to provide an understanding of the dynamics of Finnish education export to Africa, looking at it from the perspective of importers, uh, exporters, business as usual, and development cooperation. There's also the need for the development of sustainable and ethical principles to guide Finnish education export activities. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for joining me and for sharing your insights on this topic. This was extremely interesting, and I feel like I could talk to you for another hour about all of this. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It was really nice talking about and sharing my knowledge on this topic. Thank you to Elizabeth for joining me and sharing her insights on this very timely and tangled topic. Unipid has and will continue to engage in policy discussions around education sector development cooperation with the aim of integrating perspectives and voices from the Global South, highlighting the importance of research, and promoting collaboration between higher education institutions and government agencies. Thank you for listening to this episode of Detangling Development. Be sure to join us for the next episode when we will be talking about One Health and Global Inequality with Dr. Sarah Green, Professor of Social and Cultural Anthropology at the University of Helsinki and also a member of Helsinki One Health. My name is Melissa Plath. See you next time. This episode was produced and edited by Kelly Brito and Alexandra Birish. Original theme music is by Vesa Plath. This has been Detangling Development.